0: I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling.
1: And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be
0: wrestling fans who don't know
1: where to start.
0: And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we conduct a
1: series of interviews with the episode of NXT (laughs) that originally aired on January 29th, 2014. In this episode, among other things, Bo Dallas has suddenly gotten very serious and very intense, and it's kind of fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah, it is a bit.
1: Episode 37 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we got to hang out with Hub from Tighten Up the Defense, which is one of our favorite things to do, and it was super fun. This time, it's just us again, and we have weirdly a lot to talk about this episode technically includes six wrestling matches yeah uh, which i'm not sure has ever happened in our coverage before they average out to two minutes and 40 seconds (laughs) per match
0: (laughs) that's about right
1: and there are also a bunch of short backstage segments meaning that most of nxt's current stories are getting advanced in this one in some way We'll go over all of them in Bob's breakdown, after which we will have to ring the bell for one of our new friends here in NXT. And then, as always, we'll get into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Get back to basics with the wrestling term of the week and close things out with the cheap pop quiz. But before any of that, we need to check in with last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob went into that one with 9 points. In this Oh what? Hour- Holy oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> this our fourth round of quizzing. She only needs one to get me to read another romance novel and produce a bonus episode about it. Let's see if she got that one point. Question number 1. What is the main event of the next episode? A, a wrestling match. B, a contract signing. C, A contract signing that turns into a wrestling match. D. A contract signing that turns into a wrestling match and then turns back into a contract signing or E. A contract signing that turns into a wrestling match that turns back into a contract signing that turns into just a fight. Bob, you went with that last one, and as you know, you're correct.
0: I am. I mean, you put something really shiny in front of me, and so, like, you could have gotten me, but you didn't, and that was very kind of you.
1: I have to remember to put the shiny things in front of you and make them the wrong answer. <laughs>
0: yeah, pretty much.
1: Well, that's your 10, Bob. You got it on the first question. Let's see if uh, you oh, have a couple of extra God. ones going in. Question number two. Next episode features a series of segments with Sylvester LaFort conducting interviews to determine his new client. Which wrestler agrees to work for him on one condition? Is it A, Mason Ryan, but only if LaFort defeats him in a wrestling match? B, Tyler Breeze, but only if LaFort takes a shower and gets a makeover? C, Aiden English, but only if LaForte can find him a tag team partner to help him go up against Enzo and Cass? D, Xavier Woods, but only if LaForte can help him get revenge against Rusev? Or E, Sami Zayn, But only if Laforte can get him a match against Cesaro. All of these would make so much sense, though. Thank you. I was proud of this question. Uh, You went with C in English if Laforte can help him find a partner. And unfortunately, that is incorrect. The correct answer, as you know, is A. Mason Ryan, but only if Lafort defeats him in a wrestling match.
0: Man, I got some feelings about that. And question
1: number three. What popular bird superstition does William Regal mention on commentary when talking about Tyler Breeze? Special thanks to birdspot.co.uk. <laughs> is it A. Killing an albatross is bad luck. B. A bird pooping on your head is good luck. C. Peacock feathers are bad luck. D. Whatever you're doing when you hear the first cuckoo predicts your year. Or E. Magpies carry a drop of the devil's blood under their tongue. Mm -hmm. In this case, Bob, I did put the shiny one there at the end for you. And you did go for it. You went with E. (laughs) And the correct answer was C. Peacock feathers are bad luck. So only one on this quiz, but one was all you needed, Bob.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. I have a good book for you this time that you will not hate.
1: I appreciate that. We are likely going to retreat back into the comforting warm arms of uh, Regency Romance. Yes. (laughs) As opposed to the wintry frozen arms (laughs) of Ice Planet Barbarians. Well, with that, it's time to kick off our show, Bob. And we do that by getting into Bob's Breakdown.
0: All right, there's a lot of matches here, but we're going to yeah. give each of them a cursory look in at least. So, match 1, The Blue Glow of My Dime Store Vampires. So, guess who got a chainmail shirt? Cuz Yeah. Connor, yeah, Connor is apparently a man with nipples that can stand up to a gentle cheese grating from some chainmail.
1: I think Victor already knew that for me. Yeah, I,
0: yeah, this is their thing. I don't want to know too much <laughs> about it, but it is a thing.
1: Do you think so, that like they had some kind of deal where it's like Victor did something special for Connor, and in return, Victor was oh. like, okay, but you have to wear the chainmail.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. In the fanfic, yes. So they're here to fight Michael Killori and John Icarino. So they slap Michael Killori to ribbons. He's clutching his chest. And then Rick Victor flips him over his head, and Lori's down on the mat. Cool, cool. And then Victor grabs his upstretched hand and, like a pump handle, starts yeah. pumping the outstretched arm up and down to the rhythmic chants of, yeah, from the audience. <laughs> like, I feel like I missed something. Like, I looked away for a second and the ascension got really over in a very specific way.
1: Yes, that is exactly what happened, actually. <laughs> Nothing about the ascension has changed. They are still squashing joppers. Because yeah. NXT doesn't have a tag team division. There's a hilarious bit of commentary where Tom Phillips is like, there isn't even an, a tag division in NXT anymore since the Ascension arrived. It's <laughs> like, th- there wasn't one before, but mm-hmm. thanks, Tom. So nothing's about them has changed. Nothing about their situation has changed. They're the champions. They've been the champions. The only thing that's changed is that the crowd has decided that Connor's thing where he says ya sometimes... <laughs> Is their new favorite thing to say along with him.
0: They're not wrong, though. It is pleasing. (laughs) It's an odd choice, but I, I respect that they are doing something purely for the joy of it and not because there's any good reason to. That's my favorite kind of thing.
1: This is the first episode, I think, where it's really clear. Like, the y'all stuff is really coming in. You, It's been sprinkled in a little bit. You could kind of yeah. hear it if you listen for it in previous episodes. But this is the first one where, like, instead of counting one, two, three, along with the referee, they count ya. all
0: y'all,
1: Actually, a chant breaks out of this is y'allsome. I don't know Ugh. if you caught
0: that. I didn't. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> yeah, it's glorious. So Icarino gets tagged in and Victor Close lines him into a different time zone Victor and Connor line up the fall of man on Icarino the blue glow descends and then the Ascension probably drags their freshest kill into the darkness to feed and then we go backstage which we're gonna do a whole lot it's Sylvester Lafort and it's usually going to be Sylvester Lafort not always <laughs> but usually he's sitting behind a prop desk in an amount of gold that would make the Vatican think actually that is a bit much and he's still on the hunt for clients. He makes fun of a guy who comes up because he has a cauliflower ear and that's it. That's the bit. He is looking for a client and he's rude. There you go. Comedy.
1: (laughs) This is a Cal Bishop. okay? um, Who apparently is a former technical wrestler. I really don't know. I didn't bother looking him up because he is supremely unimportant. Okay. Uh, Don't worry about him. He will never, ever be a thing. I think you're going to see him in the ring like maybe twice. But yeah, he's he's nobody. Don't worry about it.
0: All right. And then match two, Corey Graves, my trash Fay, has schlubbed out here to sulk and sneer. He's back. I know he is back. Gets on the mic to tell Neville he's never gonna forgive him. I mean, doubt he was looking for your forgiveness, but whatever.
1: It's so weird.
0: I don't understand. He this tells all. the audience and Neville to stay tuned. Camacho rolls out on his awesome like mini bike, which I love. The bell goes. They bother to remind us that Corey Graves does submission stuff, and then he gets to the outside, gets Camacho's knee slung over the rope and yanks down, exerting some awkward twisty pressure on the knee.
1: That move is called a dragon screw leg whip. In case oh, you were wondering, <laughs> okay,
0: because we have talked about knees and their shittiness on this podcast, and so we have yes knees, not even once.
1: I just I can't even with knees.
0: <laughs> Camacho is clutching his. Graves locks in lucky thirteen, and Camacho does a primal screech and taps out. Graves looks pretty pleased with himself. The audience fine with it, and then we sort of go to commentary for a second. I think, and Corey Graves. We go back to him. And he dramatically licks his index finger and then reaches out like... (laughs) Miles, thoughts on the return of Corey Graves to in-ring action. Did you feel nothing or less than nothing?
1: (laughs) I think probably just nothing. I'm not going to go less than nothing, but... uh... Definitely not much. I thought it was hilarious that he was like, Neville, you tried to end my career. And for that, I will never forgive you. And I'm like, you realize this was the story between the two of you before, but the opposite. Right. Like you tried to end his career and he cut an intense promo about it. And then you fought and he beat you. And then you got a concussion. And now you're out here like still a heel, I guess. But talking about, I don't know. It's a wrong
0: teal. So I don't know. It's weird. We go backstage. Cesaro is in a loosely fitted button down that would probably flutter sensuously in the breeze if there was a breeze. Oh, of course it would. There's not a breeze, but we can feel it fluttering (laughs) sensuously emotionally. (laughs) Devin wants to know why he turned down Zane's rematch. And Cesaro is like, am I the only sane person here? (laughs) Is Is that who I am? Because he couldn't beat me on his best day. Now he's hobbling after me on crutches looking for a match. No, we're not doing this. And then he walks off and I loved it. The sensible heel. Miles, are heels usually the reasonable ones or is that not typically what they do? Because baby faces are all heart and heels sometimes are kind of reasonable and calculating, I guess.
1: It is shocking how often you will find yourself like... On the side of the heel Going, in wrestling why are you stories, him? He's right. especially yeah, especially like WWE wrestling stories, because like Vince McMahon's idea of what makes one a good person is warped as fuck. <laughs> so, so like you know, the heel will be some like weird guy doing their heel thing, and the babyface will come and like make fun of them about it. And that makes them the the good guy. I don't know. Uh, That
0: is so (laughs) fascinating I I often find myself
1: going like, no, he's right. What are you talking about? And of course, like in the most extreme cases, that does lead to huge fan support for the heel and, you know, possibly even a face turn for the heel. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Uh, it happens all the time. hmm. The heel is in the right in wrestling feuds all the time.
0: Backstage, a guy comes and shakes Sylvester LaFour's hand. Is he here for the audition? He's still shaking the hand. The camera pans in on the handshake. What audition? He lets go of LaFour's hand slowly. Oh, okay. So the joke is that he's gay and gay people touch hands in a weird way to show you that they're sexually and gaily interested. And then we get this close-up of LaFour, whose reaction actually isn't one of gay panic necessarily. It's instead just like, wow, that guy was super weird. What bad social cues. So the entire thing is inscrutable around a bad joke that shouldn't be made. But there you go. That's what happened.
1: I don't, yeah. (laughs) It's really bad. I actually want to talk more about this a little bit later. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's not great. I didn't love it. No. I mean, like, your interpretation of it is the only interpretation, but, like, you're reading so much into that because it's nothing. It's just, like, a guy's like, you're here for an audition. He's like, what audition? And he's like... Just kind of lightly holding his hand and not letting go, and then he walks <laughs> Which away is the smiling. And it's like thing
0: and the, the most yeah. predatory thing a person can do is lightly hold another person's hand. I'm glad they didn't go further with it, but I'm also like, that's your bar for gay. Like a gay joke is just going. I sometimes hold hands too long. And you're like, oh, okay.
1: Either this guy is hitting on the fort, or he's like a lunatic, and yeah. possibly both.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It feels like queer coding rather than explicitly queer necessarily. It's bad on multiple levels and not just because it's offensive. It's bad just because it's poorly done as well. It's like they tried to tell an offensive joke, but did it so badly that it's both offensive and inscrutable.
1: It would have been more offensive if you had actually done it competently. Um, We don't actually have to spend too much time on it because fortunately it goes nowhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is nice. And then yeah. uh, something that sort of goes somewhere. Uh it's Sasha versus Bailey and yeah. kind of shades of current WWE. Indeed. So Natalia brings Bailey to the ring. Renee Young is on commentary and does her traditional flirt with William Regal. And then A Rai makes it awkward for everyone as he does by insisting <laughs> that he also wants attention. And then it just is awkward and everyone sits there with that. Thankfully, Sasha comes out with Charlotte and Summer Rae and the match starts, so we don't have to deal with that for too much longer.
1: Wonderful gear choices from Sasha in this match. I just want to yeah. say that bla- the black and red looks great.
0: Bailey keeps going through the ropes at Summer Rae and Charlotte. Sasha Banks gets Bailey into a straight jacket hold and the crowd starts chanting Bailey, so I'm really happy about that. Bailey struggles out and then shenanigans on the outside. Charlotte gets up on the apron to do some heel shit. Natalia sweeps her legs, causing her to fall down. Summer Ray throws herself at Natalia in retaliation. Bailey goes to investigate. And then Sasha <laughs> tries for one of the sneaky on the ground behind you roll ups. Miles, it's that thing when you lay on the ground behind someone and then reach your arm up through their legs, grab them and pull them over you onto their back for a pin. What is that called? I think it's
1: just a roll up.
0: Oh, is it just a Um, roll-up? It's my favorite kind of roll-up because it's like you're lying on the ground but still being sneaky. Bailey kicks out, pulls Sasha into a belly-to-belly suplex and pins her for the win. So yay, I'm really pleased that Bailey is starting to kind of get her confidence in the face of these these heel bffs i'm very pleased about that
1: a lot of inversion of the distraction finish trope going on here because she gets distracted but still wins yeah Um, so very interesting way they're building bailey here and like just knowing as i do the history of like these women very well and like where how the next few years of their career go it's just super interesting to me to see bailey kind of like Just kind of like rolling through the BFFs right now, trying to get to Charlotte, who's Mm -hmm. like the least experienced of them. I don't know. It's fascinating to watch back over again.
0: And then match four, it's Big Cass versus Tyler Breeze. What are we doing here? Like, (laughs) what are we actually doing here? I just have numerous questions about what we're doing here. Cass calls him soft. Breeze goes and sulks outside the ring and then gets back in in an almighty strop. Cass makes fun of Breeze for always doing selfies. And Breeze gets mad at that. Like, but it's also the thing you do. Why are you if you're if you're mad about it, why are you doing it?
1: Cass can't take selfies. He's an uggo.
0: Yeah, apparently. Apparently that you're banned. You're not allowed to use cameras you're not unless allowed. you look like Tyler Breeze. So he goes to the audience and he gets a phone and he starts taking selfies. Forbidden. Cannot happen. Tyler Breeze is incensed. They finally are in the ring at the same time. And they start trading fairly, you know, heavy blows. They're both kind of doubling over. Cass gets Breeze down on the mat and delivers him an elbow that makes Breeze double over like someone snapping a chip clip. And he drags him up and gives him the biggest boot to the face, which is always very impressive when Cass does it because... Cass doesn't have to, like, lift up much to do a big boot. He just sort of lifts his leg to the height his leg goes, and it's right at face height. It's quite amazing. (laughs) He goes for a pin, and then, from backstage, Aiden English is stalking Enzo, like a shark, but for theater, and attacks (laughs) him in the break room as Enzo is sitting next to a fridge on his fake-ass wheelchair office chair. (laughs) Cass is like, oh no, my little friend, and is distracted enough for Breeze to get him with that flying kick, the beauty shot, and pin him for three. Cass really quickly stumbles off backstage to rescue Enzo. Miles, is this match implying that were it not for Aiden English, Breeze might have lost to Cass? Like, is distraction a way of skirting around having two wrestlers fight that you're, you're interested in pushing both of them? So you don't really want either of them to lose in a way that looks like you've actually lost.
1: Nailed it on the head, Bob.
0: Yes, I have understood a thing. (laughs) Good job. Yeah, exactly. And then we get a ye oldie ad for WWE Network starting just in time for WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans. Okay, I'm not going to give you a point because I'm not stupid. Now I realize what a superpower you have. (laughs) But what was the main event of WrestleMania 30?
1: The main event for WrestleMania 30 was Daniel Bryan versus Randy Orton versus Batista for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Daniel Bryan had to defeat Triple H in the opening match of the show in order to earn his way into that match. Oh, my Um, God. A few episodes ago, we talked about... The Royal Rumble from this year and the fact Mm -hmm. that Batista won it and the crowd was really mad because they wanted Daniel Bryan to win it. And WWE thought that they had a really great main event for WrestleMania in the form of Batista versus Randy Orton, but there was this insane groundswell around Bryan and due to... That and also other circumstances, he ended up in the main event of WrestleMania and winning, in fact, the championship that night. Uh, it is one of my favorite moments in wrestling history.
0: All right. So we go backstage again. Again. It's Cass, and he's going backstage to find Enzo. And apparently, Enzo's fine. Like, <laughs> Aiden English didn't do anything to him. But no. nonetheless, Cass is not here to play games. I'm going to read this out because it's worth reading out. We ain't playing chess. We're talking balderdash. How you doing? Ring around the rosy. How you you doing? doing? Oh, thank you. All right. Connect four. How you doing? Hopscotch. How you doing? Connect four. How you doing? (laughs) Stop saying how you doing. And he says connect four twice and it's very important to me. Bottom line, Aiden English just cost him the win and now he's going to pay. Fair enough. I mean, (laughs) we've done this. I'm fine with doing it again, but... I think really the important thing to me is that they're continuing to pretend that an office chair is a wheelchair. Like that's... (laughs) They have a prop department. Like they got Camacho and Hunico, those dope ass bikes, but they have a fucking office chair covered with like a a thin blanket to disguise the fact that it's an office chair and put like, I don't know, a Game Boy on it to suggest that it has controls. (laughs) I... I respect the balls on the WWE prop department so much for going, Now nah, we got priorities. It's that fucking gold <laughs> chain bike that matters. This, this shit, who cares? Speaking of this shit, who cares, perhaps? It's CJ Parker versus The Miz. You know what? No, I want to take back what I said. Part of me does care. I am suffused with a morbid curiosity about where this is going to go.
1: You have any theories?
0: That would imply that I've given it thought. I, uh. I merely experience it as a kind of this is different and I don't know how it's going to resolve. And I, I don't care to know. I care to be lightly surprised, which is the most I'll be able to experience because I'm not invested enough to be more than lightly surprised. Are you Um, talking
1: about like specifically the C.J. Parker character?
0: Yes, but also the fact that The Miz has that weird energy with C.J. Parker. Like, come on, baby, like we can fight and it's going to be real good. And you're like, what is happening? Because they start the match, The Miz and C.J. Parker. The Miz offers his face to C.J. Parker. Like, come on, baby, just a slap right here. And you're like, what is going on? on! This is a weirdly (laughs) erotic tone that we're taking on this otherwise not very erotic match. It kind of all dissipates from there, but I don't know. There's a certain Miz quality to the entire thing that I find interesting. Okay. The Miz clotheslines and then slaps CJ Parker to the mat. He gives him a big old dropkick from standing that I was honestly impressed by as was william regal like i think both of us were like oh the miz did a thing he follows it up with that thing where you whip yourself off the ropes and then grab the top rope and sort of do that shimmy slide between the middle and lower ropes kick somebody in the face parker is able to claw back a little control and kicks miz across the neck and then that double knee to the chest i mean he's probably using that chest for breathing purposes miz does a dragon screw thing pissing off parker's knee it's a knee heavy episode True. Parker does a crossbody, but the Miz goes for the figure four leg lock, and Parker taps out for knee reasons, kneesins,
1: <laughs> kneesins. Specifically, um, the Miz rolls through the crossbody, so Parker, Parker oh. does like hit him with the crossbody, but the Miz like rolls with it and comes out on top, uh, as opposed to just being flattened by it. That's a very common counter to the crossbody.
0: Okay, I love a counter. Counter wrestling is. I enjoy watching people go, aha! But not this. Like that's yeah, ah, so counter
1: wrestling is great, and one of the reasons that a lot of people love like technical or mat wrestling is because it involves a lot of counters.
0: I feel like I'm never given enough counter wrestling ever. Like they're like, oh, we'll do three things of it. And then we're going to move on to, you know, a suplex, which I'm, I don't dislike a suplex. But I just want you to keep going. Aha! At each other for like 30 minutes. Like that sounds You'll, like a good yeah. time to me.
1: You'll get more of it later when NXT becomes more Matt wrestling heavy. Incidentally, Bob, do you know who one of the greatest counter wrestlers of all time is widely acknowledged to be? I don't. William Regal.
0: <gasps> I mean, I knew I liked him for more than just that. I don't want to say buttery Blackpool voice, but whatever that rumbly something. something chewy. Something for sure. There you go. <laughs> I know. We all feel it. Yep. So backstage, Sami Zayn tells Cesaro to come to the ring and say no to him face to face. That literally already happened, Sammy. He like, said
1: no to you face to face.
0: Yeah. I'm like, Sammy, do you have short-term memory loss? Are you okay, sweetie? But also... <laughs> I mean, part of me is like, okay, I get it. Your ex is really hot. Like, I can see that you (laughs) wanted to see your ex's face one last time. Just because you're like, damn, I'm never going to see you walk away from me again if I don't do this thing. So it's like, all right. Absolutely. And then Sylvester Laforte, also backstage. What will the joke be this time? Um, There's not really a joke. It's Mason Ryan in the softest Welsh accent. He is a horse to me because like horses are not especially loud animals. They're quiet and purposeful. And whenever they do stuff, you listen because they weigh half a ton. Yeah. And so he agrees to work for Laforte if he can beat Mason Ryan next week. Please, please don't let Mason Ryan lose to Laforte. Can we not have one good thing for this handsome pony? And it's not because I don't think it would be entertaining for him to work for Laforte. I think it could be. I just hate the idea that the way that happens is because Mason Ryan somehow loses to LaFort, who we have never seen do a wrestle that meant anything. So <laughs> I can see the writing on the wall, and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna be upset. And then we get the contract signing. The, the reason we showed up to this party, Adrian Neville's damp hair is leaving all kinds of wet marks on his salmon-colored polo. I <laughs> noticed that too! Back is soaked. <laughs> Just like <laughs> I think the reason why we never see Adrian Neville with his hair dry is because he has incredibly curly, frizzy hair, and it looks very unserious, is my suspicion, and this is the choice that Adrian Neville has made to try and deal with the fact that he has, like, curly, beautiful hobbit hair, and that doesn't strike (laughs) fear into the heart of anyone. Okay, so this contract signing, Bo Dallas is a no-show, so Neville signs his contract. And I was like, oh, well, that was uneventful. The fool that I am. Now Bo shows up to say, oh, you think I didn't show because I'm afraid of you? Why would you think that? I'm like, well, I mean, because you didn't show up, but anyway. Right, yeah. He's not afraid. He's so unafraid that he's going to fight Danny Birch, a person not involved in this, right (laughs) now in front of Neville. And Regal says, this is rather perplexing. And I'm like, boy, (laughs) fucking howdy, it is. (laughs) Fighting a dude to show off to a different dude is one of the most homoerotic and least plot crucial things about wrestling. And I appreciate it.
1: It's extremely common.
0: I don't think I will ever appreciate it the way that WWE intends for me to appreciate it because there is something so D.H. Lawrence about it. This thing of you know, I just want to touch you so much that I'm going to touch this other guy because whenever you and I are touching in the ring, you're not going to be able to pay attention to how touchily I'm touching you, and so you need to watch me touch this other guy so you can think about my touching whenever we touch next time. <laughs> like
1: that. <sighs> You've been watching a lot of AEW, right? Still, yes. Okay, so Taz. Yeah, I love Taz. Uh, when Taz, he was a when he insane. was a wrestler. Phenomenal wrestler, uh, had a long time rivalry in ECW with a guy named Sabu, and they had a long time feud. Like, for like a year, Taz called him out and Sabu wouldn't fight him. And Taz would do things like he would bring somebody out to the ring and beat the shit out of them while calling them Sabu the whole time.
0: Oh, my God. That's like the weirdest sex thing ever.
1: (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that.
0: I really appreciate that. I love that there is so much longing baked into wrestling. Yeah. And I mean, it's very much predicated on touching one another. But that whenever you can't be with the person you really want to be with, that there is a complete willingness to go, but I'm going to be with this other person and you're going to hear all about it. okay, This is very weird and uncomfortable.
1: It's it's so interesting because, and we're going off on a total tangent here, but at its core, in a lot of ways, wrestling narratives are driven by titles, by championships, Mm. but like... When you don't have a championship involved in a feud, and even sometimes when you do, but like you don't need a title for this, it has the potential to be like so personal and like so yeah. intense between two people almost always of the same gender. and. It can be read in such a, like, weirdly romantic way so much of the time. It's really fascinating, like, when you look at it in that perspective. Like, that's why this is a podcast of fights and feels, because wrestling is fights and feels. Like, there is the fighting, but there's also just, like, how much people are, like, wrapped up in their thoughts feelings about one another you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, it's just so interesting and that, that i think that's where it gets the reputation as like the soap opera for men thing because it's like we have these really intense feelings and we're gonna fight about them and like the fighting about them makes them palatable for the male audience but yes but what the male audience doesn't understand is that it's really about
0: feelings i know i'm like it's very about like the fighting is almost incidental to this entire affair
1: but then what happens is that the fighting becomes centered and like Two people who have like really great matches together because they have great chemistry with one another, which is what you fucking call it. You call it having chemistry with one another. And like, and then that just becomes a whole thing too, based on their work together in the ring. So it's this, oh, I love wrestling.
0: I love it so much. I I, love it. It is so magical to see the kind of storytelling that you can do with it because it is already at operatic heights, it has nowhere to go. But to insane emotional places because you're going, no, people are actually getting injured for realsies. People are getting injured (laughs) also for fakesies, but definitely for realsies. Absolutely. And and if that's the stakes we're at, like everything is going to be turned up to 11. That's just how it has to be. And I really appreciate that. We'll go back to this thing that we're talking about. Bo Dallas wrestles Danny Burch and it's fine. But the thing that's really important about this is that he's wrestling Danny Burch. And I didn't even look at what was happening with Danny Burch because I didn't care. I do like Danny Burch, but I just didn't care about this particular thing. What mattered to me was that Neville and Renee Young are sitting on folding chairs politely outside the ring like it is a middle school band recital. And (laughs) they're just watching Bo Dallas fight a an outsider to this whole affair.
1: And pretty much beat the shit out
0: of them. Oh, yeah. It was over very quickly. And normally, Danny Birch at least gets a look in as kind of tough guy who can handle himself, which I kind of regret for Danny Birch that he didn't get to look at least a little tough. I get that he couldn't because of what we're doing with Bo Dallas at this point. Right. Right. But I feel like it tarnishes danny birch in a way that is difficult to recover from considering his character is like guy in a bar who yeah will smash your face if you look at him and like it's a
1: shame it's him and not like
0: yeah anybody else really
1: travis tyler or something
0: yeah exactly so the audience chants bow ring which i thought was very clever i was pleased with the audience dallas beats birch it's over. Now he's ready to sign the contract. Neville brings it to him. He signs it. And then when Neville's back is turned because he's looking at the contract, I guess, to make sure that Bo Dallas got the date right. Bo Dallas brains him from behind and leaves the ring with his belt. But Neville is not over this yet. He kind of recovers, flies through the ropes at Bo and they scuffle up the ramp towards the back as we fade to black. I'm okay with this feud. It's getting more compelling.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was really important that they did this with Bo. Like, for Bo to actually, like, be serious and do this thing. And, like... The combination of, like, serious Bo with the fact that he's still very much doing, like, very normal human man from Earth, Bo Dallas. Yeah. Like, it's really scary. Like, he's, he's, it like, got the this, scariest
0: this, he's been, for sure. He's got this
1: weird, like, his weird smile on his face. And, like, he's beating this guy up and staring down Neville really intensely. And it's just, like, I think it was really necessary for the feud.
0: I think it Brings a level of threat to it that was not there previously and makes you go, oh, maybe Bo Dallas could beat somebody without turnbuckle shenanigans.
1: Yeah. Maybe there's a reason that Bo Dallas has been champion for 300 days.
0: Yeah. Which I can't believe that I've been living under the shadow of Bo Dallas this whole time. I'm really (laughs) looking forward to to that not being the case. I know it's going to happen one of these days. I don't know who, but I'm here for it.
1: Well, thank you for that breakdown, Bob Uh, quickly. What did you think of this episode
0: overall? I enjoyed the heavy lifting that it was doing in terms of narrative stuff. The Mm -hmm. matches were largely secondary to the entire thing, which I don't... Forgettable, yeah. Yeah, I I don't mind that. A forgettable match is not a deal breaker to me. I sometimes enjoy a really good match, but I also don't mind a match that I don't really need to look at. And I can just go, oh, look, feelings. And these feelings are being handled very quickly. So I enjoyed the narrative heavy lifting that it was doing, the deeper work of it. There was a lot of weird set dressing. Like this plate had a lot of parsley on it, and I was like, "That's a that's an unusual quantity of parsley to put on a plate."
1: (laughs) All right, well, we're gonna keep eating our parsley here. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of it to chew through. That's what we're gonna be tasting, but we're gonna find out now what we were seeing, hearing, and feeling, as it is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see?
0: This is super unimportant, but Corey Graves' shiny, shiny boots, they are the cleanest, shiniest, like, patent leather, probably not really patent leather, boots I have ever seen. It's like they've never been worn before, and with his kind of weird trash punk aesthetic... It's odd that his shoes are so shiny. I don't know. I just enjoy how shiny his shoes are. My dude got a
1: bit of a makeover. It's like, honestly, the most interesting thing about his entire presence on this episode is that, like, he's still doing kind of his, like... You know, grimy underground thing, but he's he's leaning into the slickness of it now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where it's like before, it was like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like those clothes have never been worn before, and now it's like, okay, I'm kind of I'm a heel, so I'm kind of doing like the grimy guy who won the lottery or something you know yes, what i mean like i really appreciate up and got you articulating
0: job. that because i there is something about that that really works for what he's doing and i appreciate it because i have seen him on commentary and his commentary persona is definitely guy who won the lottery and is obsessed with classiness and as a concept is like, yeah, I'm gonna wear nothing but velour, and you're like, whoa, that is a strong and interesting take on what that word means.
1: Obsessed with classiness and like, but still very committed to his like punk aesthetic, I can afford the good torn up jeans. You yes, know what I mean? absolutely.
0: Like- so, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? All right. So
1: going back real quick to that second guy that uh, Sylvester LaFort interviews, that man's name is Sawyer Fulton. Okay. You do not need to know it yet. He will be back later, uh, okay. many years from now, in a more significant capacity with a completely different look and a completely different character. The reason I, I mentioned this specifically for what my elf eyes saw was that. I was re-watching this episode in preparation for this podcast with my wife, Sharon, who um, has been known to watch uh, wrestling with me, particularly NXT. And um, when Sawyer Fulton was part of NXT, mm-hmm. Sharon thought he was real cute. She couldn't stop talking about how cute this guy was. And so, like, and I knew what was going to happen. And so I was, I was waiting to see if she even recognized him. And she kind of did, but she had no idea who he was because he looks completely different. And when I told her it was Sawyer Fulton, she was like, what
0: the fuck
1: happened? (laughs) Who told you to shave and
0: do your hair blonde and all this stuff? Yeah, it's a strong look and it's not a good one.
1: Yeah, good job getting away from whatever the fuck this was (laughs) in a hurry.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I heard so much. Okay.
0: So much this episode. I'm going to limit myself to this one and then we'll get into feels a bit. CJ Parker's fighting. a Rai says, he's from the Moonchild commune, but he doesn't like the word commune. He prefers intentional community. I was like a Rai knows what intentional community means. Like, that would blew my mind. And I felt different about Alex Riley for five seconds. And <laughs> that was very powerful to me that I that I felt that. And so I was delighted.
1: That's really interesting.
0: Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear?
1: Okay, let's stay on the commentary. I weirdly wasn't... Bothered by it? Um, oh, yeah, that's for the been most a very part.
0: common emotion for us lately.
1: Yeah. In fact, specifically, I wanted to call out two things. Um, the first thing is that during the Tyler Breeze big cast match, I found myself legitimately enjoying the commentary. And I was like, what is this feeling mm-hmm. like they were just like bantering like Regal and Riley Have been known to like snipe at each other like fucking children in the past, but like in this case they really weren't. Like Regal was actually being nice to him, and Riley toned it down too. There was no heel commentator. Like Saxton wasn't here to be an asshole. So like So they were just kind of like vibing with each other and with Tom, like, especially during the cast's breeze match. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. And it was a really weird feeling to me because when the women came out.
0: Renee Young came out to join commentary, and I was like, Oh, Renee Young. And I hated her. Yeah, she did say some weird shit about, like, it's hard for women to control their emotions. And I was like, What the fuck was that shit? I get that you're on the WWE network, and like, there's a certain value in vocally adhering to the stereotypes that you're being fed in your workplace. But also, why?
1: It was just a weird, it was like bizarro commentary world for me. Yeah,
0: it was. It really
1: was. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel?
0: Overwhelming pleasure at the weirdness of william regal on commentary (laughs) i think i just missed getting to enjoy him being sort of left of center just you know randomly at one point he says the Miz reminds me of kermit without the talent and i don't know what that means but like (laughs) i felt it so powerfully and i loved that (laughs) sentence and then i think it was a who said this Someone chops you, William, what do you do? You chop him back. And he says, I used to scream. I used to scream. And that sentence was the most powerful aphrodisiac known to man. <laughs> I'm like, for whatever reason, the guy who's not ashamed of going like, oh, yeah, I used to scream. That's what you do when you get hit. It's like. Oh my God! What a fucking dream boat! What Seriously? I don't know why that is such a type for me. I don't get it very often in most media because that's not a thing that men are allowed to be in most media. So like, I am starved for this type. And the fact that William Regal came out here and was like, "Oh no, I used to scream." I'm like, "Oh baby, that's so beautiful." Thank you.
1: Great episode of NXT for William Regal. He really yes. had, a, had a big day.
0: All right, Miles. Tell me about what your human heart felt.
1: I can't believe I'm saying this because I couldn't believe it as I was feeling it.
0: Oh, my. But the
1: friendship between Enzo and Cass.
0: You know, you're not wrong. I'm with you.
1: Between that and the commentary, the Cass-Breeze match was by far my favorite match of the show. You so often see, like, okay, it's not like this never happens in wrestling, but a lot of the time when it happens in wrestling... First of all, the woman, Mm -hmm. you know, is, like, getting beat up backstage or threatened backstage and causes the man to be distracted. I love that it's just, like, his friend, his little, like, yappy, annoying friend. But, like, he cares so much about him that he gets distracted losing the match. Immediately runs backstage to go find him and save him. And then when he finds him, he's fine? (laughs) He's just like... Even then, like Enzo is saying like how he would have he would have kicked his ass, you know, and cast like Enzo, you're in a wheelchair. You got to be careful, man. What are you doing? Like, I I don't know, dude. I hate that I had feelings about this.
0: I am with you.
1: The people portraying these characters are legitimate shitbags, but. The characters themselves are so bizarrely endearing and like going back and watching this is really reminding me why people loved Enzo and Cass. And I think a big part of it is like their bond and their friendship.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I felt it. And I don't know why they're shitbags. I don't know that I want to know why they're shitbags. I'm sure it's terrible and frustrating. Yes, Um, but yeah, I have that same feeling and I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't feel this way. But also, I'm really enjoying the performances. I know, man. What are you going to do? Media. It's problematic.
1: All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. We are going to move on to uh, wrestling term of the week. But before we do a couple of things. First, we got to ring the bell. Okay. And on this episode, Bob, we are ringing the bell for the Miz.
0: Oh, all right. While it's
1: possible that he briefly shows up in some capacity later on, this is the final NXT match for Mike Mizanin, whose WWE journey we can't even begin to cover in this segment, but I'm going to do what we can. Okay, so he came to wrestling from the world of reality television where he first gained fame. Oh, yeah, where he first gained fame as a cast member on the real world back to New York.
0: Oh my uh, god, that's insane. Yeah.
1: This is like early aughts, right? Like 2001. Yeah, he oh, became... I
0: was a real world watcher. Oh, were you? I mean, not then, but yes, I I cared deeply about people's weird crushes.
1: Okay, well, while a cast member on The Real World, he became notable for, among other things, having a like wrestler alter ego that he called The Miz. Now, Mizanin was very popular on the show, and he became a staple of the reality TV scene in the early aughts, like joining reality shows about, like, who was the best reality TV star and shit (laughs) like that. And he eventually joined WWE's reality TV show, which at the time was called Tough Enough, in which aspiring wrestlers competed for a WWE contract. Now, as you might imagine, this was not entirely on the level because it's wrestling. Yeah, Uh, Mizanin was only the runner up. He didn't win, but he did still get a contract. The Miz was officially born as a real wrestler and it turned out was by far the most successful wrestler in Tough Enough history, punctuating a 15 year WWE career so far with eight tag team championships, eight intercontinental championships, two United States championships and one wwe championship fittingly he was also part of the first two seasons of nxt back when it was a fake reality tv show (laughs) in those days the contestants were labeled rookies and were each assigned a pro aka an actual main roster wwe wrestler and in season one the miz was assigned to daniel Bryan, and it was a big deal at the time because for the first decade or so of Miz's career, most wrestling fans, especially like the diehards who were like huge fans of Brian Danielson on the independent scene, fucking hated the Miz because he wasn't. A wrestler. He was a reality TV star whose wrestling persona was just as annoying as his real world persona. <laughs> and the idea that this motherfucker was supposed to be the pro for the rookie that was Daniel Bryan, aka Bryan Danielson, aka the American fucking dragon, aka one of the greatest wrestlers, if not the greatest wrestler the American independent scene had ever produced, was an absolute insult. Yeah. And while Brian was eliminated from NXT early and then fired in real life, he was eventually rehired. The Miz went on to win the WWE Championship and Main Event WrestleMania alongside John Cena and The Rock, much to the disgust of a large portion of the fan base. Incidentally, in season two of Game Show NXT, the Miz's assigned rookie was Alex Riley. And Riley would eventually transition to the main roster as Miz's lackey. Ironically, he was also the runner-up in the season. He did not win. Miz would eventually browbeat Alex Riley so much that Riley turned face on him, and he even defeated The Miz at a 2011 pay-per-view called Capital Punishment because it took place in DC. After separating from The Miz, however, Riley's career quickly fizzled, leading to him being used in other roles, such as Terrible NXT Commentator. Yeah it should be noted that fan sentiment has really turned around on The Miz over the last few years. Starting around 2016, he super stepped up his game as both a wrestler and a performer and became one of the highlights of the roster for a while. And he's still doing stuff for WWE to this day, most of it pretty good. So um, while we won't be seeing any more of him in NXT, a lot of his work over the last few years is really worth checking out if you're interested in seeing more Mike Mizanin.
0: I want to say about them is I appreciate that he gets what an insane career he has and is living it up and is not going, oh, I'm going to try and be serious and important about this. He's like, no, I'm going to dress like a banana and fight somebody because I do this for a living and it's insane. And like, what a good attitude.
1: Hell of a journey. Kind of wish we had more time with him. Well, the other thing we need to do before we get into wrestling term of the week is get your fanfic, yes. uh, which is based on the wrestling history of the week from two episodes ago, which centered around Alundra Blaze and the brief women's wrestling revival of the early 90s in WWF. So, Bob, I'm very anxious to hear what you came <laughs> up with. Take it away.
0: okay glimmer smiled scorpia you come out and you say something mean about the horde and then you drop your horde championship belt in the trash and then everyone will cheer because you're part of the rebellion federation now scorpia squared her shoulders hoisted the belt aloft the horde said that they rewarded initiative but rarely did and she threw the belt in the trash (laughs) Beau frowned i don't know if that's gonna get the crowd going it's a little niche maybe Scorpia picked the belt up again. The horde was mean and hurt, people! She slammed the belt into the trash. <laughs> Adora grabbed the belt. I think it probably needs to be more personal? Maybe a little bit meaner about the horde? Mermista rolled her eyes. A lot meaner. Like this. Mermista held up the belt. We'll never forget what the Horde did and what they stood for, because it was garbage. And every time we take out the garbage, we'll remember that that's where Hordak and his little underlings belong. At the bottom of the dumpster, crying like the pathetic trash babies they are. Mermista dumped the belt in the trash and flicked her braid over her shoulder. Scorpia's eyes widened. That was so mean. Seahawk sighed dreamily. It was perfect. <laughs> Mermista rolled her eyes again. Ugh, such a mark. <laughs> so thank you so much to Kai for the character suggestion of Scorpia, which helped me to figure out how the heck I was going to tackle this.
1: Oh, uh, it's beautiful. That interpretation of the so-called first shot fired in the Monday Night Wars is uh very, very close to my heart. I love your Scorpia. I've always loved your Scorpia. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, I love that WWF in this story is the Horde. That makes mm-hmm. sense to me. <laughs>
0: I know. I was like, a little close to home, actually.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, it is time for this episode's wrestling term of the week. Normally, I try to do these in a way that will help explain something to Bob and to the audience. From our next episode, uh, not really much there in this case. So I actually asked Bob if there were any terms that she felt mm-hmm. uh, she was lacking some understanding in or could use some more explanation. And um, one of the ones she got back to me with, like, really struck me. And I realized we had to do it for reasons we're about to discuss. So the wrestling term of the week is spot.
0: This comes up all the dang time, and I sort of understand it, but I mostly do not.
1: Yeah, okay. So this is one of the most basic wrestling terms that exists. And it's actually so basic that I realized I've been using it a lot without even thinking about it. Most of our, like, wrestling knowledgeable guests have been using it, but we've never actually explained it. And seeing as we're now 37 episodes in, (laughs) I feel like it's past time. Uh, So, a spot boiled down to its essence is just a term for a move or sequence of moves in a match. Okay. Did somebody just get hit with a powerbomb? That's a spot. Did somebody do a moonsault off the top rope? That's also probably a spot. However, as you might expect, there is more to it than that.
0: (sighs) See, this is the part I knew
1: was coming. While there are exceptions, spots usually refer to moments in a match that have been planned ahead of time and affect the match's structure. So Mm. we're going to get a little bit like narratively abstract with this. So stay with me. We've talked before about the industry standard narrative structure for a match. The baby face starts strong. The heel takes control. The baby face starts to come back, but the heel takes control again. The baby face comes back for real. And then the finish plays out according to the specific story being told. Each of those beats is represented by a spot. So we have the move or sequence of moves performed by the face at the beginning to look good. The move the heel uses to take control. The hope spot which is the specific term for the face's failed comeback.
0: Oh my god, it has a name!
1: Then we have the comeback spot, which is the specific term for the successful comeback, and then whatever moves or sequences are used in the finish. Even outside of this standard format, most wrestling matches are built around a series of spots that, when performed in succession, tell some kind of story. There are spots, and then there's setting up the next spot, and that's Pretty much what matches are. The specific nature of each spot and the nature of the performers employing them is what makes individual matches unique and different from others. Spots can be individual moves or a series of moves or even just physical acting and facial expressions. The important thing about them is that they are inflection points. You know a spot is over when the story of the match has somehow changed as a result. That guy just hit a big move on that other guy. And now that other guy is down. Or maybe it was a really big move, something dangerous, like two wrestlers falling off the top of a cage, a high spot, as it's generally called. Mm. Now they're both down. Or maybe it wasn't a move at all. But one wrestler, say, just performed the signature pose that she and her opponent used to do together back when they were a tag team. And now her opponent is visibly rattled. And so the match is changed in that way. Mm -hmm. Spots exist to send the story of the match in a new direction. Of course, not all wrestling matches adhere to the typical format, and those that don't sometimes get criticism for it. For example, some matches are comparatively light on story and heavy on big, impressive physical spots, with little buildup in between them. (laughs) Young
0: Bucks! (laughs) Look, you're not wrong, though. I I don't love a Young Bucks match for that reason. (laughs) These are often derisively referred to
1: as spot fests.
0: Oh. Uh, God, there's so much shade buried in all of this.
1: Oh, there's about to be more. (laughs) Similarly, if you want to criticize a wrestler for lacking in talent, or storytelling ability, and relying on big, dangerous spots for their popularity, you might refer to them as a spot monkey.
0: <gasps> oh, dang.
1: And if a spot goes wrong, it is generally referred to as a blown spot. Not that there's any likelihood of one of your fanfics involving anybody blowing anything. That would be crazy, but I just thought you might like to know.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Oh my god, this is like the, one of the richest terms you've given me.
1: Yeah, we really should have done this earlier. I apologize for anybody who's been confused about (laughs) the use of the term spot in previous episodes. That is what it means. And come back in two weeks for uh, Bob's explanation on our next episode via fanfic of the term spot. Wow, that's amazing. All right. Now that we've blown your fucking minds. Yeah, it's about time for the end of our episode, which, of course, takes the form of the Cheap Pop Quiz. So uh, we are now in round five of quizzing. As of today, (laughs) Bob's gotten the 10 and we're starting over. Question number one. The next episode of NXT contains yet another appearance by NXT dad and honorary naked mole rat Triple H. He's here to announce that the upcoming NXT championship match between Bo Dallas and Adrian Neville will be a specific kind of match that has never been done in NXT before. What kind of match would that be? Is it A, a ladder match, where instead of winning by pinfall or submission, you win by climbing a ladder and retrieving the championship belt, which is suspended above the ring? B a cage match, where the ring is surrounded by a roofless steel cage, and you can win by pinfall, submission, or escape. C, a tables match, where the only way to win is to put your opponent through a table. D, an Iron Man match, which has a set time limit, usually 30 or 60 minutes, and the goal is to score more falls than your opponent during that span. Or E. A tuxedo match. The male version of the type of match you win by stripping your opponents of their clothing.
0: I wish I know it's not going to be a tuxedo match. You sound so sad. I am. I don't know why. Like, I functionally see Adrian Neville in next to nothing all the time. I don't know why True. I would care about him wearing some clothing, but something about it. Okay, they don't have the budget for a cage match. <laughs> <They> <laughs> that's that's not happening. Okay. Um, I've never seen a tables match, and I find that a weird concept because i've always seen tables as like incidental that people are just like well there's these tables yeah. here gotta smash them i don't think they have the time for an iron man match although it could well be that but i'm gonna say ladder okay
1: gonna say ladder match
0: employing reason on a rare occasion
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it pays off with the next yeah episode. right Question number two. The next episode also features a match between Aiden English and noted Canadian Tyson Kidd. Yay. Prior to the match, English mocks the Canadian national anthem. Why? With which of the following lyrics? Is it A, Oh Canada, your wrestlers are so weak. Mm. B, Oh Canada. It's time to watch me win. C. Oh, Canada. I hope I make you cry. (laughs) D. Oh, Canada. You're all a bunch of plebes. Hmm. Or E. Oh, Canada. And then he just spits on the floor.
0: <laughs> okay. I think the make you cry one, I just like that one. I just think that's, that's good, basic, respectable heel work, and I'm here for it.
1: <laughs> okay. Your answer is C. I hope I make you cry. And question number three. Which of the following does not describe Mike the Miz Mizanin, according to the Wikipedia page for The Real World Back to New
0: York. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) Is it A, he grew up the only child of divorced parents and found a sense of family within his college fraternity.
0: Oof. Oh, boy, does that sound like him.
1: B, he dropped out of college to join the cast of the show. C. He grew up in a conservative part of the country with a racist father and had never interacted with gay or black people prior to the real world, which caused some tension with other cast members. Oh, boy. D. MTV, which of course was the network that aired the real world, described him as, quote, a chick magnet who is still naive about relationships and has a deep need to be loved. Or E. He describes himself As a drama magnet who gets bored in the absence of conflict.
0: And it's the one that isn't on his Wikipedia page? Yes. Four of
1: the five refer to him on the Wikipedia page for The Real World Back to New York.
0: All of them are so insane. I'm just going to choose A. He
1: grew up the only child of divorced parents and found a sense of family within his college fraternity.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say that.
1: Incidentally, all of these things appear on the Wikipedia page for The Real World Back to New York. It's just that one of them applies to someone else. Oh, Uh, okay. So that is your answer. Answer is A. That is it for the Cheap Pop Quiz. Please come back on the next episode to hear uh, whether or not Bob scored some more points on her continued journey to get me into romance, which has already been pretty successful, but we're going to keep going with it anyway.
0: Yeah, it's just to make you read the ones I want you to read.
1: Goddamn right. All right, Bob. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. As always, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for the holiday gift that is wrestling.
1: I hope you're having a great holiday, Bob, and I hope that all of our listeners are having wonderful holidays as well. Uh, Whatever it is that you celebrate, however it is you choose to celebrate, I hope that you are just filled with warmth and joy and happiness. Yeah. And as always, thank you so much to our uh, beloved patrons. Uh, We really appreciate all of your support. It's been a it's been a weird year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once again, we're here at the end of it and just really want to thank all of you for um, doing what you do.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh,
1: Definitely want to thank everybody who contributed to the campaigns to elect Democrats to the Senate in Georgia. Yeah. uh, To our little uh, raffle that we had going on. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes, we ended up raising $200. Thank you. That is awesome. That makes a difference. I mean, gosh, it would have made a difference if we'd raised five, but 200. That's pretty dang amazing. And we did the draw and David Waters won and David Waters asked us to cover the first two episodes of the What We Do in the Shadows television show. Which you can see on the Hulus. That's right. If you are a Hulu streamer, owner, something.
1: Well, you should because if you have Hulu, you can follow along with us here on NXT. And you can also follow along with us in our bonus episode about what we do in the shadows, which is... A fucking amazing show that I love a lot. And so thank you so much, David, for choosing this.
0: Yes, I had to restrain myself from jumping to the next episode because I, I want to uh, be surprised. So, yes, we're <laughs> looking forward to that. That should be out probably within the next, oh, two weeks.
1: It's going to be out before the election. So Yes, and the election next, next is on January
0: weeks. 5th. And I would also like to take a second to plug an appearance that I had on a friend's podcast. The podcast is called Ambient Conversation, and the episode came out on December 8th, and it is called Ego Impermanence and Sexy Fruit, part one. Uh, You can imagine that I insisted we go on a sexy fruit tangent, and it was a real journey to find out which fruit is the sexiest fruit. And I don't remember my answer to this question, but Miles, just out of curiosity, which fruit would you say is the sexiest fruit?
1: Okay, so banana is the obvious answer.
0: It is, and I, I, I want to say I do recall immediately saying that is the a wrong answer, despite being an obvious yeah, answer.
1: It is. It absolutely is. Like it's it's the it's the low hanging fruit. Uh-huh. Pardon
0: the pun. I think I made that exact joke in the episode.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> We're the exact We're, same person. The, the, yeah, the twist at the end of the show is actually that Bob and I are the same person. In fact, <laughs> um,
0: spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Do you know there's something about pears? <gasps> you know, I hadn't. I don't know that I considered the pear, but now that you say it. I
1: think also peaches are a strong contender. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. peaches are very sexy. First of all, just the fact that like when you bite into them, you get that juice kind of running down yes. your chin. I mean, you get it with a lot of fruit, but with a good peach, good ripe peach, you know, oh, it's yeah. really a whole experience. And also you add to, to the fact that that, uh, you know, the peach has, of course, become emoji speak for uh, for butts.
0: Yes, which is very important to me.
1: And also, I just really love peaches like they're one of my favorite fruits. So I think ultimately I have to land on the peach. But pears, a weird dark horse
0: runner up. I'm kind of feeling this pear vibe now. I feel like a pear is a little bit more withholding, a little bit more distantly sexy, unachievable Mm. because a pear, the ripeness of a pear is such a, a rare event
1: yeah, and I associate it almost with, like, the upper class in some weird way.
0: You know, you're not wrong. I, I also have class feelings about pears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to that podcast and for listening to this podcast. And uh, have a great day holiday season or not holiday season whatever the hell solstice whatever this uh, time of the year means to you end of 2020 a perfectly good reason to celebrate absolutely all on its own so have a good one be safe and we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan
0: tell us what fruits are sexy bye
1: The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin.
0: Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo.
1: Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and Stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com.
0: We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us.
1: You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness.
0: Visit our website at NXTWrestlingFan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more.
1: If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at NXTWrestlingFan at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I appreciate that there is something about a person with weirdly damp hair that says, something's wrong with you. And I don't know what it is, but no one likes having their hair that wet. Like Yeah, really. I guess Bo Derek and 10, but like that's it. Everybody else is like, you know what, I can't wait for my hair to be dry. That's why I live in the desert. I don't wanna be moist all the time. I'm not here for it.
1: Oh man, I mean I wanna go back to the Northwest because I wanna be moist all the time.
0: <laughs> Dolph Ziggler, he's not a face is he no just ever is he a face okay good he I'm like, I just he can't. has
1: been in the past
0: mm, no <laughs> I'm just no I veto that.